We are so honored that you chose to join us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. It is our desire that you will be encouraged and challenged in your walk with Jesus. Be blessed as you join us for this week's message. All right, how many of you are ready for the word this morning? Um, I'm excited. Let me tell you that today is the first day of a brand new message series called Via Della Rosa. Now, Via Della Rosa is the actual road that Jesus carried the cross up to Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where he was crucified. It was his journey. It was his path that he took. Via Della Rosa actually means the road to suffering or the road to sorrow or the road to grief. And over the next four weeks leading up to Easter, I'm going to take us on a spiritual journey as we're going to follow along the path that Jesus took to get to the cross. And, and we're going to celebrate that on Easter Sunday. Here, here's what I firmly believe, and here's what I, I even told our staff, that I believe that we need to prepare our hearts for Easter. That even for those of us who have known Jesus, have walked with Jesus for many years, I think there's a great danger sometimes in that we can approach holidays like Christmas and Easter, and yeah, we know this story. We, yeah, we're going to come, we're going to do the you know, Easter thing, and we're going we're gonna to move on. And, and the story can get old because we've heard it over and over again. But, but really, I believe what the Holy Spirit wants to do is the Holy Spirit wants to lead us on a journey every Easter of experiencing the newness of life that Jesus died to give you and me. That every year that I want to step more and more into the resurrection life and power and love and peace and joy, everything that Jesus paid a high price to give you and me, that we would step more and more into it. And so over the next four weeks, each week we're gonna take one of the steps that Jesus took on the road to Calvary that I believe also mimics the steps that we need to take in order for us to step more and more into his life. Really, the Via Della Rosa is the path that led to death that leads us into his life. And so we're going to take that journey together. And today it's going to begin um, in Matthew chapter 26. So you have your Bibles if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. One of the things that I just feel so compelled about is in this Americanized church and Americanized Christianity that we are exposed to, I think there's a danger in it. And I think one of those dangers in it is that we can lose a little bit of the reverence of the reality of the person of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And so I hope through this series that we experience a little bit more of that Reverence that we, we just encounter more of the reality of, of this great sacrifice and the high price that Jesus paid so that you and I can experience what we just experienced a little while ago in worship, that we get to experience his presence, that we get to experience his faithfulness and his goodness. And great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. I thank God for those mercies, but I think sometimes we can take them for granted and it's healthy every once in a while to hit the pause button and say, we're going to go back in order to go forward because we're going to remember what Jesus accomplished through his road to the cross. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. And today, we're going to begin that journey in the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe the road to the cross didn't actually start on the road. Just like our relationship to God doesn't start just, uh, you know, in a moment because we decide we're going to become a Christian. 
the road to experiencing the salvation that Jesus died to give you and me actually begins in this place of surrender, where we're willing to surrender our will to what God's will is. And so we're going to see and pick up the story where now the Last Supper is just finished. Jesus had just had his Last Supper with his disciples, those he loved most. And through the symbolism of the meal that they partook in together, in fact, we're going to end the service today experiencing communion together, remembering that Last Supper. But they're done with the Last Supper. And now the reality of what Jesus would have to go through. And, and this is where I think sometimes we don't realize. We think, oh yeah, he was, he was God. You know, did it really hurt that much? Did, did he really have to suffer that much? After all, I mean, he, he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of God. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. He had to be fully human in order to live a sinless life, to be able to take on our sin so that we could be free from the power and the penalty of sin. And so now in his humanity, and this passage that we're about to read together is probably the most graphic depiction of the reality of Jesus' humanity. And, and the very real tension that he wrestled in his soul in the inner conflict that he was going through, knowing now that his hour had come and that he had to go to the cross. And so here we pick it up in verse 36. It says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me even for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. But more importantly, I thank you, Jesus for the sacrifice that you made so that we could stand here before you today saved, set free, healed, delivered, made whole. Jesus, we are eternally grateful for your sacrifice of love. God, I pray that we wouldn't just read this passage of Scripture, that we wouldn't just celebrate Easter, but that the reality of what you accomplished on the road to the cross, through the cross, through your burial and resurrection, 
God, that we would encounter that reality in a new and a fresh way that would lead us more and more into the life that you died to give us, the resurrection life and the resurrection power, the resurrection grace and joy and peace and love. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The, uh, the title of my message to you is Surrendered for My Salvation. Surrendered for My Salvation. You see, I believe that Jesus actually had a choice. You see, just like in the garden, really, this whole story is the tale of two gardens. Gethsemane was, was a garden. It sat at, at the, the base of the, the foot of Mount of Olives and, and actually means the place of the oil press. That's what the word Gethsemane actually means. And, and we see the person of Jesus in so much agony, so much inner turmoil, so much inner conflict, and yet God still gives him a choice. He had to yield his will to the will of the Father. He had to surrender himself and his will to the will of the Father. Otherwise, none of us would be sitting here. None of us would experience the depth and the reality of his salvation. And so where the journey begins to the cross isn't actually the road to which he carried the cross. I believe this is where the journey begins. It begins at the place of surrender. If Jesus doesn't wrestle with this and come to the place where he says, nevertheless, I don't want to do this. I mean, Jesus is, is, is feeling the weight. In fact, when, when what, that scripture we just read, that Jesus fell to the ground and prayed. The, in the original language in the Greek, the connotation from the original language isn't that he just like got on his knees and prayed. It, 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 the connotation is that there was such a, a heaviness, a weight on him, that he could feel the weight of the world on him. And, and just think about for a minute, if you've ever watched The Passion of Christ, that the scene when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the spiritual warfare that is happening all around him, wanting him to give up, wanting him to, to say, God, I can't do this. I'm, I'm tapping out. You got to do this another way because I, I can't. I'm not willing to do it. And, and everything... All of hell is being unleashed on him. And in his soul, he's in so much anguish and sorrow that it says that he was, it was to the point of death. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been under a tremendous amount of stress at points in my life. And, and even being a pastor, it can be a little stressful at times. Y'all wear me out. You stress me out. But no, I love you. I love you. But, but the reality, I've been under, I mean, I used to be in, in sales. And, and at one point, uh, me and my team were responsible for half our company's revenue and it was a startup and a startup is you don't have a lot of money and if you don't succeed if you don't if you don't bring in the revenue the company is in real danger of failing even one quarter so there's there's a lot of stress a lot of anxiety to try to hit your number and make sure it works I, i've dealt with times a lot of stress a lot of anxiety but i've never never been to the point of anxiety and stress and sorrow to where I was ready to die over it. Now, we might think the Bible's being a little uh, exaggerating here. It's exasperating this moment a little bit. Can I tell you that, that uh, scientists have actually, there, there's a condition called uh, hematidrosis, which is a, a condition in the Bible, not in this passage, but in Luke's gospel and Luke's version of right here. You know the gospel is the three 
eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection. And, um, and in Luke's version of this same story, he talks about Jesus falling on the ground and sweating drops of blood. And, and for years, people said, now, this is just an exaggeration. This is just a story. This is just to make it sound even better. But, but scientists have actually, there's a term, a psychological term, hematridosis, where you can actually be under so much anxiety, so much stress, that there's chemicals released in your body that begin to break down the capillaries under your skin. And eventually, after those chemicals have had some time to work on those, them, they burst and blood runs into the sweat glands. And so it actually can happen that you can be in such a state of psychosis and anxiety and stress that this condition happens and you actually sweat drops of blood. And this is exactly the place that Jesus was in. He was under so much anxiety, so troubled, so much stress, so much inner conflict that he didn't want to go to the cross. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He surrendered. He surrendered himself. And he was willing to go to the cross. And through his surrender, we get to experience his salvation. If Jesus never surrenders his will, the journey ends. It doesn't go any further. It doesn't go anywhere. The story doesn't end like it does. But because he was willing to surrender, we get to experience his salvation. And I even think, you know what? We have to have a, a deeper understanding of salvation. In our Americanized church life and world, uh, I think that we have not done salvation justice in, in God's idea of what salvation is. Oftentimes the gospel's presented at the end of a service just like this, and it's like, hey, in a moment of surrender, you can ha experience this thing called salvation, where you surrender your life to Jesus, you pray a prayer, and you invite God into your heart, and then you go on and live your life. <laughs> and, you know, from that point on, it's like, yeah, I've got Jesus and, and, and he's with me and I'm going to heaven and it's good. But I think if we would really grasp what biblical salvation is, there's a couple different words in the Bible for salvation. One is sozo and one is soteria. And they, they have this connotation that we're not just saved. Yes, we are saved and we are going to heaven and we could bank on that. You can count on that. And I know the devil will try to rob that from you and make you question it and whether it's real and you'll live under this, this, this guilt and shame of trying to wrestle with all that. But the reality is this. If you've truly surrendered your life to Jesus, you are going to heaven. You will live in eternity with Christ. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let him rob and steal from you the joy of your salvation. But, but here, here's the deal. It doesn't end there. Just because in a moment, for many of us, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago, today, maybe we've surrendered in a service just like this, our lives to Jesus, but we don't live a life of surrender. And if, and if we don't get this, we're going to miss out on the fullness that God has for you. He doesn't just want you saved so that you go to heaven. He wants you saved so that you know that you're going to heaven and you have assurance of that, yes, no doubt. But he wants you, here's the rest of the definition, he doesn't just want you saved, he wants you healed. 
He wants you delivered. He doesn't want you to, to stay in sin. He wants you to be delivered, not just from the penalty of it, that's what happens when we're saved, but he wants you delivered from the power of it, where sin has no more hold over me. Sin has no more hold over me. I am free because I'm delivered from the power of sin. Why? Because of what Jesus did, because of his surrender, I can experience his salvation. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be healed of your past and your wounds and everything, the damage that sin has done in your life and the damage that other people have done because of sin towards you, the damage that just life has done because sin is rampant in the world. And there's terrible things that happen to good people. Why? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world. And yet in the middle of all of it, because he chose surrender, I can experience more and more of his salvation. But it begins in a place of surrender. So I've got three things for you that I believe that if we're going to choose, because Jesus chose surrender, and, and if we're going to experience more and more of his salvation, more and more of his freedom, more and more of his healing, more and more of his uh, wholeness, completeness, more and more set free. Do you realize that the Christian life is supposed to be a progression of becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more set free, more and more healed, more and more delivered, more and more made whole? That's what God had intended. Not that we just made a decision at one point and we surrendered our lives years ago, but I don't live a life of surrender. And so we're going to go on a journey together this morning, and it starts right here. You and I, we have to make a choice. And that choice is daily. It's moment by moment. And that choice begins with, I have to choose to let go of control. And for a lot of us, this is where it's like, man, I, I hear you, Pastor Lance, but this is hard. Now, recently, uh, one of my sons was learning how to drive. And uh, why y'all laughing? <laughs> and, uh, and I would go, you know, when he has his permit, he's supposed to drive with a parent. And so, I, you know, we would go on drives with him. And I got to tell you, I didn't really think I was a control freak. But when I got in the car to drive with my son, I found myself like, oh, no, turn, turn, just like wanting to grab that wheel. Just that urge in me is like, I wasn't a backseat driver. I'm a front seat driver. I'm going to grab that wheel, boy. Like, if you don't turn now, you're going to hit that car. You're going to hit that curb. No turn here. Oh, you should have put that blinker on. Oh, you're too close. And at one point, he's like, dad, just stop. Like, let me drive. I'm like, okay, all right. All right, but you hit that, you paying for it for the rest of your life. I mean, I know Carrie Underwood said, Jesus, take the wheel. But I was like, let dad take the wheel. Come on, right? But the reality is this. For a lot of us, you know, we like that song, Jesus, take the wheel. But most of the time, if we're going to be honest with each other, we've got the wheel firmly in our grip, and we're in control. And it's only when the car is skidding out of control that we take our hands off and say, Jesus, take the wheel. Right? Some of us, we got a little bit OCD. And what I mean by that is obsessive control disorder, right? I mean, we, we want to control everything. We want to control our kids. We want to control our finances. We want to control our job and the people at our job. And we don't want to control our husband or we want to control our wives. And, and, and so we're always trying to control. Like some of y'all even come to church and you're like, man, I want, to, I want to do something with those lights. I want to control. Why are we singing these worship songs? I want to sing these worship songs. And I don't like the way you do that. Come on, my worship pastor saying, amen, hallelujah. 
And we just want to control. We want it to be how we want it to be. Right? Some of us, we're a little less in your face about our control. We, we, we kind of keep it on the DL. And, and, and we might be a little passive aggressive in our control, but we're still controlling because we're not telling people outright what they should do, but we're just giving them our advice. You want my advice, pastor? Here's what I would do. Or, or maybe we don't do that, but we just, we withhold our love. We withhold our approval. And in the meantime, in, in, in doing so, we're actually trying to manipulate backhandedly and control people in our situations, in our circumstances. And this is where surrender begins. That I've got to be willing to just let go and get my grimy little paws off of what I'm trying to control and give it to God, right? You can't control your spouse. You can't change them, but God can. You can't change your finances. You can't change your job, but God can. You can't change your son or daughter's future. I know you wish you could. I hear you, but only God can when we're willing to let go of control. I thought it was so funny because, you know, Jesus he prays the prayer in the garden, and he says, God, if there's any way for you to take this cup from me. And for a lot of us, that might mess us up a little bit. Like, what does he mean by cup? Where did the cup come from? What is this? Well, if you remember, he just got done having communion where the cup represented his blood that would be shed. And, and the sorrow and the very real grief that would come with that cup. And in fact, one time... Uh, his two disciples, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which means son, they're the sons of thunder, nicknamed sons of thunder, uh, dumb and dumber, actually. But, um, but I, love, I love the disciples because they're a lot, they're a lot like me. I, I can relate. They're just average, ordinary guys. They mess up. And, and these, two, these two disciples, at one point, they come to Jesus apart from the other 10. And they say, hey, Jesus, come on over there. We want to huddle with you. And, and so Jesus, you know, what, what's up, guys? And, and look what it says in Mark 10, 35. He says, and then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> so, like, we think we have control problems, and we look at sometimes these guys in the Bible, and we think, man, if only I could be like the sons of Zebedee. If only I could be like one of the disciples. The disciples struggled with control. They were always trying to control Jesus and the situations. It's like little kids coming up to him. No, no, no. Get away. Can't touch him. He's Jesus. Jesus is like, no, no, no. Don't withhold him. Bring him to me. People yelling to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they're like, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> you know, be quiet. They're trying to control the crowd. And Jesus is like, who called me? They're always trying. They even wanted him to be the king on earth, not a heavenly king an earthly king. And so they were always trying to control them. But how many of us, we, we love God and we love him for his blessings. We love him for his goodness. We love him and we treat him like a genie in a bottle God because we want him to do whatever it is that we ask. When God is saying, no, 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 that isn't how it works, you see. When I said, and some of you might be confused, it's like, yeah, but Pastor Lance, he said earlier, he said, ask anything in my name and you can have it. 
Except he also said, if any man wills to do his will, he shall know the doctrine and know if it is I who sang it or my Father in heaven. And you know what he meant by that? He meant that you can't even know what is true, what is right. You can't even understand my will until you're willing to let go of control and desire my will. Teacher, do, do for us whatever we ask. That's what they desired. It's what they wanted. It's in the exact opposition to what Jesus did. Not my will, but yours be done. When um, there was a, a really significant, and I'm sorry, I, I got probably another at least 10 minutes. Yeah, you're good though. I like it. Just play. Makes me sound more spiritual. There was a, there was a, I believe when I look back over my life, there were several times where I felt like, and this is after I was saved, but there was one moment in particular that I think actually marked our life together, my wife and I. And that was, um, we got married our junior year in college and we, we went back to school and my, my senior year, I went to Lee University, go Flames, and um, Christian University in Cleveland, Tennessee. And I was, um, I was majoring in psychology, minor in Bible. And, and I, I felt God calling me to, and I wanted to, to be a Christian counselor. And so my senior year, I, I was honors, psychology, about to graduate with honors. Um, I, was I was student teaching. I actually taught uh, a class that year, and I thought about maybe being a professor. And I got asked to be the chaplain of our fraternity my senior year. And that, what that meant was we had a weekly meeting, our fraternity meeting. Now, don't think keggers and, you know, like jello shots and that kind of, that kind of fraternity. I'm talking, this was a Christian fraternity. This was, you know, we did service for the campus and stuff like that. And, uh, but there were some guys that took the fraternity thing serious, no doubt. But I got asked to be the chaplain my senior year. And so what that meant is we had a meeting every Tuesday and I had to bring a devotional to that meeting. And I took this serious. I would pray and fast on Tuesdays and I would ask the Lord for a word to bring to that meeting. And God would inevitably, every week, he'd give me something to bring. And as I started just bringing what God was giving me, God started moving powerfully in those meetings. And what was supposed to be a 10 minute devotional because God was moving ended up being a 20 minute and guys were repenting and, and just really just encountering God in life changing ways. And um, through that experience, it was funny one, at the end of one of the meetings, you had to have a chaperone, somebody who was on staff that, that sat in on your meetings. And it just so happened that he was the head of the pastoral department of the college. And he comes up to me after one of the meetings and, and he pulls me aside. I'm like, what's up? He said, um, you ever think about being a pastor? And I said, no. And he looks me in the eye and he says, you should. And he taps me on the shoulder and walks out. I'm like, bro, and you leaving me hanging? Like, but what it did is it started me like really questioning, is my way what God has for me? And I didn't even want to go there because I had, I had it all mapped out. I was, gonna, I was gonna graduate, I was gonna go on to get my master's degree and get my doctorate, and I was gonna become a Christian counselor. And my wife, she, she already had people offering her jobs as she had a music education degree in schools. And we had our plan until God started asking me, are you willing to let go of your plan so I can give you mine? And I didn't even know what that looked like. 
but I know that God started stirring something in me and, and I'll never forget, I asked my pastor at the time if we could go to lunch after church and, and if he could give me some wisdom. And we sat there and they said, before, before we even you know, get into this conversation, let us tell you what God is doing in our life. And they started showing us pictures of Proctor, Montana. And as they started showing some pictures, there's something that started welling up in me. And my wife and I, we had a good meeting. We're walking out of that restaurant that afternoon and we're going out to the car and I'm looking at her. She's looking at me. I'm looking at her and I'm saying, are you feeling what I'm feeling? And she goes, oh no, don't even go there. I am not moving to Montana. Point of the story, never tell God what you won't do. But I said, I said, wait, 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 let's just pray about this because I felt something stirring in me. God wanted me to let go of my plan and to embrace his. And it was about two months later, we've been praying and we were in a worship service just like this. And I felt the Holy Spirit right in the middle of worship say, I want you to go to Montana. And it was almost like a dying inside. It's like, God, you want me to give up my plan, really? I've never even been west of the Mississippi. I'm a city guy. And you want me to go to Montana? What's in Montana? And where I find myself a year and a half later, we were packing up a U-Haul, everything we own, car on the back, $3,000 in our pocket, no home, no job, all on the word of God. But can I tell you, best decision I ever made. Not my will, but yours be done. It was more than a decision. I believe it was a life-altering surrender. That because my wife and I were willing, we, we, we talked about it and we said, our life is gonna be marked, and, and trust me, I haven't done this perfectly, so I don't wanna sit here and, and do the pastor thing where it makes you feel like, yeah, so I'm holier than thou, and I've always made every decision correctly, and God is always in control of my life. No, but what it did is it solidified something that our whole life would be built on, and that was that we believed that God's will was better than ours. His plan trumps mine. And so we decided no matter what it would be, whatever decision, that we would always surrender to God our plans and ask him if he had a better one. And that's marked our whole life. We, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that fact. But here's something. When you try to control and take things into your own hand, this is where anxiety comes in. This is where fear comes in because God says, okay, you wanna control it, then you own it. You gotta keep it going. You gotta fuel it, you gotta fund it, you gotta make it happen, you gotta, you gotta do it, it's on you. If you want it your way, you got it your way. But here's what happens when we're willing to let go of control. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and supplication, that is praying over and over. Do you know that it says that Jesus prayed three times? It wasn't a one and done. This is a process. I don't just surrender once to Jesus. Well, man, there's things in my life where I got to keep surrendering. I got to keep surrendering. I got to keep surrendering. And there's something, there's something about that number three. Do you know in the Bible, the number three is the number of completeness? It's also the number of resurrection life and power. And so Jesus, if Jesus had to pray three times, God, not my will, but yours be done. Go over to his disciples. Y'all are sleeping. Come on, you're supposed to be praying. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. There's something that breaks. Do you know that um, in Jewish culture, they believe that something wasn't really dead until it's been in the grave for three days and three nights. There's something about continually going back and saying, not my will. Do you know how many times we've wrestled with that decision? We almost left two years in. We're like, we're out of here. 
I don't want to hear coyotes in the middle of the night. Hey, freak me out. Sounds like somebody's getting murdered. I'm a city guy. I'd much rather hear police sirens. That comforts me in a weird sort of way. Help me. But we had to keep going back. There was one point my wife literally at a women's retreat one time after like eight years of being here, wrestling, she would cry every time that we would land in a plane because she made that choice. Not my will, but yours be done. But there was a women's retreat one time where she actually wrote Montana on a piece of paper. I'm sorry, babe, I'm sharing your story. And she put it in the fire, symbolizing I'm letting go of this. And in that moment, God did something in her heart and her heart shifted to where she began to love Montana and love being here and loving the will of God and what he chose for us because his ways is better than our ways. His ways are higher than my ways. And if we'll just surrender control, come on, some of you right now, you're in the middle of trying to control some things in your life and God says, if you'll just take your hand off that and do the next thing, which is I choose to trust God. I choose to let go but it's more than just letting go. It's choosing to trust God with it. Like you can let it go and then not really trust God with it. And what I mean by trusting God, trusting God isn't this passive thing that we just say, oh, God, I trust you with it. I'm just waiting on you, you do, do whatever. Do you know that there's some things that God can only do for you, but there's also some things that God will not do for you that you need to take the initiative and step into and do. Waiting on God is not a passive thing, by the way. Biblical waiting is that I am pursuing, I am, I am like right there, I'm praying, I'm seeking, and just in that moment when God says the word, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get on the, with the race that God has intended for me. It's not passive. Trusting God is active. When I choose surrender, I choose to trust God. And that means I don't have to understand. And this is the problem. We want to understand. God, why did I get cancer? Why did I have to experience divorce? Why did you move me here? Do you know how many times I asked that question? I couldn't see into the future. I couldn't see that over 20 years later, I'd be standing here before you preaching this word at a church called Hope Church in Montana. Had no clue but I chose to trust him because I surrendered to him. Jesus trusted that God would give him the grace and give him the strength to even do his will. Do you know that in Luke's version, it says that when he went back to pray a second time, that an angel of the Lord showed up and strengthened Jesus. And then it says he prayed more earnestly. And this is when the drops of sweat and blood came because he needed the grace and the strength to even do God's will. If Jesus needed it, how much more do you and I need it? How much more that if we'll keep going back and keep surrendering and keep saying, God, I don't understand what's happening in my life right now. I don't know why you've allowed me to experience what I'm experiencing. Some of you are going through some things right now and you've been asking God that very question. Why did you allow this in my life? Why the divorce? Why did I lose that business? Why did you move me here? Why did you take my loved one? Why, why, why? I don't know why. And I don't have the answers for you. But I know the one who does. And in the middle of what you're going through, if you'll say, God, I trust you, not my will, but yours be done. 
Proverbs 3, 5, probably one of the most recognized, memorized verses in all of scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, submit. That word submit is surrender. In all your ways, if you'll just surrender them to God, he'll do what? He'll make your path straight. He's got it figured out. You just got to let over control. And you got to trust God. I, I remember um, one time my wife and I, uh, we owned a business, you know, a small business locally, and we were just struggling, struggling to, to get by, like big time, to the point where we were like right on that threshold where we could have lost our business. And for us, losing our business equaled losing our home, losing everything that we owned, all of our life savings, like wiped out ground zero. And we were right there on that edge. And I remember I was, I was so stressed out, worn out, you know, being in situations like that, it wears you down. And I remember coming home from work one evening and, and my wife, she was just, she was a, a wreck in a good way. She was emotional, but she was also happy. And I said, what's going on with you? And she said, um, she told me this story that I'll never forget. And I don't know how many of you have ever seen of your kids. There's a, there's a cartoon about Joseph, Joseph the dreamer or something like that. And um, there's a scene, and if you know the story of Joseph, there's a scene where he's locked up in jail un wrongfully. Like he didn't deserve to be in jail, yet he was locked up in jail. And even, even God used him to prophesy to people that were in jail. And he said, remember me, you know, when you get out and you're with the king and they forgot about him. And here he is forgotten, wondering, questioning, questioning God, questioning his calling. And in the middle of it, he starts singing the song, you know better than I. You know the way. When I'm asking and I don't understand, I'll trust you know the way. And she said, I was washing dishes and I was stressed out and I looked out the window and it was summertime, so the window was open and she saw my daughter and she was little, maybe, I don't know, six or seven at the time, and she's swinging on the swing and she's kicking her little legs and she's singing that song. out of that situation boy even more so I, I can't even I can't even tell you the blessings of God in our life but we've had to walk through some things which leads me to my last point is that in order to surrender to choose surrender you have to choose sacrifice and this isn't talked much anymore in the Americanized church we like a candy land Christianity if we're going to be honest with each other where it's all peaches and cream and cotton candy and carnival and where we ask God for what we want and he gives it to us in Jesus' name. But the reality is this, there is a cost to following Jesus. I would be amiss as your pastor to not remind you that there's a cost to following Jesus, but there's a sacrifice that comes to doing his will. 
If any man wills to do his will, if you will to live a life of surrender, it means you're going to have to sacrifice some things. There's just That's just all there is to it. In fact, at, at one point, I love King David, and he was going to make a sacrifice to the Lord for sins that he had committed. And he goes to build an altar to put the sacrifice on there. And the man who owned the, the property, he said to King David, he said, let me give you the wood. Let me give you the altar. Let me give you uh, the, the, the oxen for the sacrifice. And David says, no, 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 no. I will not sacrifice something that costs me nothing. I won't sacrifice to God something that doesn't cost me something. And I think we're, we've, we've lost this principle. How many times do we, do we give out of our abundance, but it doesn't cost us? How many times do we serve in the church? We'll serve until it actually costs me something. How many times will we worship unless it costs me something? How many times will I come up for prayer and worship Jesus until it costs me something? Yet David knew something about sacrifice. He danced before the Lord before his, all his might in spite of people criticizing him, laughing at him. Oh, get ready, church, because I'm telling you, we're coming into a day and age that we're, we're not gonna be able to live in Candyland Christianity anymore. And I'm, as your pastor, wanna prepare you because this world isn't gonna accept you as a Christian much longer, if at all, already. And it's gonna require some sacrifice to follow Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's message at Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support this ministry by going to hopechurchmt.com slash give. Also, follow us on social media at HopeChurchMT. Thanks again for watching and have a very blessed week.